Malithatel Thuba ndinibulise nonke emakhaya bababukele icawa yanamhlanje ya kwese Cosmos City Church. Okoqala mandibulele bonke abefundisi bebandla bathe bandicela bandi ndabelane nani namhlanje ngelizwe lethu. Ndibulele futhi nomkhokheli wolutsha othenga lenyanga yabatsha wacela ukuba nandi ndabelane nani ngetopic le bale kakhulu nekufutshane kakhulu nenhliziyo yami. Uh, and this is a class leader and delivers the words using doses. I am jealous when you go see, conquer the safe food, see even one out here The topic that I was asked to speak about is the topic of depression and anxiety, especially amongst young people. Um, it's more important, or rather, it's uh, more relevant at this time during these COVID times. People are stressed about many things. I don't know if that is what informed the young people to want to speak about the topic. But from my side, I'm going to speak about the topic broadly. Yes, some things will be relevant specifically to the COVID time and the stressors that come with it. But I want to talk about mental illness amongst young people and also specifically depression and anxiety around those issues um, specifically for young people. I want to go through topics today. Uh, I'm going to talk about five things and I hope that over the next few minutes we'll be able to cover those things. The first thing I just want to talk about the, de the definition of mental illness. What is it? Um, talk about depression, talk about anxiety, and I also want to talk briefly about the causes and what makes young people specifically to be vulnerable to mental illness and be likely to develop depression and anxiety at such young age. In my culture, in the Kosa culture, we say we always wonder when young people say they are depressed and they are stressed because they are supposed not to have any problems. And today we're just going to go through some of the things that make them to become depressed. I'm also going to talk about the impact of depression, rather the outcomes, what does it do to your life and how does it impact people's lives. In other words, if you are depressed, what can you see come happening with time versus if you are not depressed or if your depression is treated. I will also touch on some of the interventions that we can uh, do to try and treat depression and also to try and prevent depression and anxiety because these are illnesses that are largely preventable, especially amongst young people. And I'm also going to talk about some biblical relevance and some responses that we can do, not just from um, individual point of view, but from a community point of view, what role can we play as a church in terms of, of uh, impacting positively the scales of depression amongst young people. So we are going to start off with reading a Bible. There will be a lot of reading today. I tried to limit it because I have limitations in terms of time. So I've limited it to only two, maybe three full chapters in the Bible. We are going to start with the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole verse, the whole chapter, I beg your pardon. This is the story of Moses and the burning bush, and many of you will be aware of the story of how Moses was called to go to Egypt and free the children of God uh, from the hands of Pharaoh. It reads as follows. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
So Moses thought, I would go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When, he, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard they are crying out. I have heard them crying out because of their slavery, because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And I think there are just three things I want to highlight there. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am, cons and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey, a home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to the to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is a sign to you that, I, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I will make reference to the verses that I've read later on as we speak, maybe towards the end. What is depression and anxiety, and how do we identify that a person has depression? I want to say right from the beginning that as we go through this, I will not necessarily be giving a lecture at a university. I will not necessarily be going through everything according to the textbook. I just want to highlight a few things. And um, this is not to try and get someone to diagnose themselves with any illness. And if you do think that you've got any illness, go see a doctor, you might be wrong. This is not something that you can use to identify yourself as being depressed and start to worry about or start to treat yourself. It is just a preaching and some information that is educational in its nature, but hopefully will try and help you in how to overcome some of the difficulties that you may have, and also us as a church on how to overcome some of the difficulties that our young people are going through. When we talk of depression, we talk of a period in our lives where our emotions, our feelings, our mood is significantly different from what it's supposed to be and what it usually is under normal circumstances. In other words, when we do not have depression. It is a, it is a change in mood that is persistent and consistent and in different settings. In other words, it's not just being depressed for a few minutes when you've had sad news or for a few hours when something terrible has happened. It is a time when your mood and your, and your feelings are low and you're feeling sad for the whole day and every day for a significant period of time. It's not just a few minutes. 
it is always associated, or rather the feeling of sadness is always associated with a certain list of symptoms and certain things that change in your life. Amongst those are things like the lack of interest in pleasurable activities. It is things like lack of sleep and lack of energy. You feel tired, you feel exhausted, you want to go to bed, and when it's time to be in bed, you, f you just cannot sleep and you cannot rest as much as you actually feel that you need it. It is um, associated, the sadness is associated with feelings of worthlessness and excessive guilt. There's also decreased concentration, slowness of thought processes, and also indecisiveness. And these feelings, what we call cognitive, cognitive symptoms, concentration, thought speed, and indecisiveness, these are some of the things that impact uh, functioning quite significantly, as we're going to see later on. And these are just some of the things that happen. And so at times, those feelings of worthlessness and guilt may lead to people feeling that they're not worth living and wanting to take their lives, or even at times, attempting to take their lives. Anxiety is also related to, to depression in the sense that it is a change in our feelings and mood. But this is more along the lines of fear and worry about things. It is an emotional response to threats and these threats may be real or perceived. In other words, it may be threats in our lives that we think about or we worry that they may happen. And at times, it may be threats that are actually uh, there for real. And some of these threats may be things that are imminent, things that are going to happen soon, or sometimes it may be things that are going to happen in future. So when we talk of threats, they may be of different kinds. If you're threatened with uh, violence, for example, you might feel anxious. So if you think that you're going to be beaten or you're going to be robbed, you might be stabbed, there might be anxiety around those, around those issues. But some of these threats are not necessarily around just physical violence. They may be around threats of rape or fears of rape. They may be around fears of losing a job or fears of certain calamities that are going to happen, infections that may or may not happen, things that may affect you directly or things that may affect other people, significant people in your life. And for some, it may be fears around economy generally. The uh, symptoms that are associated with uh, anxiety include things like hyperarousal, always feeling edgy, always feeling tense, um, feeling on guard all the time. And at times, you may have a certain desire to escape this, this situation or try to avoid certain things that may be avoidable. So obviously, if the fear or the anxiety is around a certain trauma or maybe a mugging, you might try to avoid things that where you think you might be mugged, you might avoid things where you think you might be raped. But there might be certain things where you just feel that as much as you may want to escape the things that are bringing the anxiety for you, it's just difficult to escape. For example, if you have um, anxiety around losing a job or anxiety around um, a certain economic meltdown that might be coming. It's difficult how you can perceive or how you can try to, uh, to escape those things because some of them, they may feel as though there are eventualities that may happen and you have a sense of less le lack of control around them and you cannot avoid them from happening and you end up actually not functioning because you just feel defeated by the situation. So many people usually ask when you talk about depression, you know, when you suggest to them that they may be depressed and that they might seek, uh, they might need help or they might, they should seek help for it. Many people usually ask you, is this not normal? Should I not be depressed or worried about the illnesses or about the difficulties that I'm going through or that may happen in my life? 
So people may ask, should I not be depressed or should I not be worried when someone is, is uh, facing death, a loved one is uh, sick or dying, or when they have died, is it not normal to have those kind of things? And I want to try just over the next few minutes to separate for us between um, what is normal grief, what is normal sadness about our situations versus what is depression. So when we are grieving loved ones or a certain loss, even if it's not a death, a certain kind of a loss, it is usually a feeling of emptiness and a feeling of loss rather than a feeling of a depressed mood that is present all day and every day. Feelings of grief or loss are usually associated with bouts of irritability or bouts of crying whenever we are reminded about the situation. And in between, we may have some sense of normality or some feelings of normal or some normal feelings in between those bouts of emptiness or those bouts of irritability whereas if you are depressed the short changes in our circumstances do not necessarily change how we are feeling throughout the day so something good may happen today i will not necessarily be excited or feel normal about it if i am depressed whereas if i am in a grieving period i might be excited by seeing my favorite food or someone that i really love appearing to come and see me and my mood may lift and be normal for, for a moment when you are grieving, there are usually positive thoughts and sometimes even joking about certain things that are reminding us of the, of, of the lost person. Whereas when you are depressed, those positive feelings or positive thoughts and joking about things are usually absent. If people who are, who are grieving feel uh, uh, suicidal or they wish to die, they usually have this underlying thoughts around, I want to die because I want to join the loved one who has, who has passed away. Whereas when you are depressed, it's usually feelings around, I feel worthless, I feel guilty about something, I do not deserve to be alive, my life is not worth it, or I'm not worth living, and therefore I want to die for that. So those are some of the things in which, uh, which we use to try and separate between the two. One that is quite important, and I want to touch, um, uh, to just emphasize quite a lot for us today, is the issue of functioning. When you are grieving or when you are adjusting to a certain normal stress, generally you would have some sort of impaired functioning at the time when that happens. So let's say, for example, a loved one has passed away, your mom dies. For those few minutes when you hear about it, for those few hours after you hear about it, you cannot do anything else. You cannot function. You cannot just say, let me finish whatever I was doing on the computer, I'll go attend to it. So the functional impairment at that time for the minutes and the hours following that are quite severe, and maybe even up to days. If you are depressed, the functional impairment is with you 24-7. The functional impairment is with you every single day throughout the time of depression. And it goes beyond just the, the time of that event happening. People who are depressed will not just be returned to work and be normal after they were depressed for two days or after they were depressed for three days. They will remain to be functional impaired for quite a significant period of time. We usually say in a major depressive episode, for example, it's a minimum of two weeks, uh, but it can actually be much longer. It can be months or even years of severe depression together with functional impairment at the same time. Depression and anxiety, like as I said, they are with you day and night and every single day of your life. And the, the functional impairment will be not just in one area, but it will be at work or at school, it will be in personal care, it will also be in your activities of daily living. Things like cooking, things like 
uh, cleaning your own space, things like budgeting and planning for tomorrow, those things do not happen and they're impaired in those areas when you are depressed. Symptoms like, and we talked about this a bit earlier, symptoms like indecisiveness, slow thought speed, poor self-esteem, self-doubt, uh, poor concentration. These things mean that at, with, uh, when you are functioning and doing whatever you are supposed to be doing, either you are studying at school or you are at work, it will take you an increased, a significantly increased amount of time to complete tasks that you could do before. So if you usually do a certain task at work or you usually study a certain subject and something that would take you 10 minutes would probably take you 15 to 20 minutes, something that other people are finishing in one hour, it might take you an hour and a half to finish those things. So you will obviously start, uh, absorb information quite less. Your marks might be impact, in, in, impacted negatively. So you might actually get lower marks or even fail at school. And at work, you might not produce the work that you usually produce or the work that is demanded of you that you usually can do, but you will not be able to do during the time when you are feeling depressed. Your mind will be wandering to other things that you worry about, that you are sad about, instead of focusing on the task at hand. It will, it will mean that you will produce a poor quality of work and you will make a lot of mistakes. So there will be just many mistakes that you're making. And obviously, if you're at school, you'll be losing marks when you do that. If you're at work, you'll not be producing the work that your bosses or your employers might be wanting you to produce. This will lead, or this may lead to school failure of poor marks at, work, at, at school. And it may lead to loss of employment. It may lose, lead to poor self-care, self neglecting budgeting, neglecting cleaning your house or, or doing any gardening maintenance or any other work that you're supposed to be doing. The other important thing about depression is that there is something called severity and over time. So when you are, when you are grieving, for example, someone that has died, the way you are so severely impacted by the death of your loved one in the day or two days, maybe three days after the, your parent or your loved one has passed away, is maybe quite severe. But with time, you need to get up, you need to prepare for the funeral, you need to do things that need to be done and put things in order. And over the next few weeks, you'll actually start to get better and start to get back to your normal functioning. With depression, that improvement over a few days or uh, over a few hours does not happen. The, the, the severity of the symptoms will remain with you throughout that episode until the episode is actually treated. I want to turn our attention now to the causes of depression. I want to slightly take that conversation outside just depression and anxiety and talk about mental illness. Why do young people, why do teenagers and young adults get depressed? What are the things that lead to them to have mental illness generally and lead to them to have these illnesses that will impact their lives so negatively? Mental health is a huge burden of disease amongst young people in the world generally and also in South Africa. Young people at the time when they get these illnesses are actually supposed to be starting to develop themselves, starting to acquire certain skills that they are supposed to use to live, with, to, to live by for the rest of their lives. And these are not just 
skills in terms of getting qualifications, but also emotional skills that they're supposed to develop so that they can become adults that are functioning very well in lives. And when they're impacted by mental health or mental illness at that time, it becomes quite important because they do not develop the skills to actually function later on in lives, whether those skills are financial skills or skills to do certain jobs or emotional skills that they are supposed to develop. So that their development is actually disrupted a lot by mental illness. Whereas there might be no individual thing that we can point out or individual cause that we can point out and say for depression this is the cause or for depression in this person this is a cause. We have got certain things that we have identified that we call risk factors for mental illness. So in other words, people who experience these things in their lives, in their, in their teenage or in their adult, young adulthood, they are likely to develop illnesses at that time mental illnesses at that time. So I just want to highlight some of the risk factors. I'll briefly uh, talk about them and, and how they actually impact us. Number one is drug and alcohol use. Young people, including adolescents, including ad ad young adults, who use alcohol and who use drugs are more likely to develop mental illness not just drug addiction and drug abuse problems, but depression itself, anxiety itself, psychotic illnesses and other illnesses are likely to develop in young people who, get expo who, who start to experiment with drugs and alcohol at that time of their lives. Amongst other things that we know, for example, is that beyond just the use of cannabis and, and whatever feeling you may have just when you have used Dacha at that time, we know that young people who use Dacha, especially who use it very young, around the age of 15 and, and, and below, if you ever use Dacha in your life when you were 15 and younger, you increase your chances of developing something like schizophrenia for the rest of your life. So if you have never used Dacha in your life and you don't have any other risk factors for schizophrenia, for example, you may have a 1% chance of developing schizophrenia for the, in your lifetime. But if you have ever used Dacha, even if you have stopped it, if you have used Dacha, obviously for a significant period of time, there is a chance that later on you will develop schizophrenia, even if you have stopped using it. So those things are very important and I want to you to, to think about these things when we talk about interventions because it's important to intervene at a societal level as well rather than just at, at individual level. Children who are neglected, children who are not parented with the care and the love and the provision in the home environment, children who are raised in environments where certain things and certain basic needs that they have are not met by their parents or by their caregivers. Those children are more likely to actually develop mental illness later on in their lives, maybe in their teens, maybe in their young adult life, or even later on in their lives. Children who are exposed in, in, at, a young, at a young age to physical and sexual abuse and all other forms of abuse, those children are more likely to de develop uh, mental illnesses than children who are not exposed to physical and sexual abuse. Violence is another risk, fact, risk factor for mental illness. And this may be a violence that children are exposed to in the community. When you live in an area that is not safe, there are always guns or people being mugged or people being raped, people being um, going through all kinds of violence. So being raised in a community, communal violence that uh, is there can make can uh, lead children to develop mental illness. Violence at home, 
domestic violence, gender-based violence that happens in, 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 in what is supposed to be the comfort of our homes. Children who are exposed to those kind of things, to that kind of violence in the home environment, are more likely to also develop mental illnesses. And also children who are subjected to interpersonal violence, who might be directly either raped or mugged or shot at or whatever the experience that they may, whatever trauma that they may experience themselves or whatever violence that they may experience themselves. And it's also important to highlight that when we talk of violence, we're not just talking about physical violence, we're talking about all forms of violence, including sexual violence. Children who experience marginalization, in other words, children who do not fit with other children, who do not fit in the environment that they are in, and they may not fit simply because they are of a different culture from their peers or from their, the, the people that they live with, or they are of a different race, or they are of a different tribe. They always get teased. They are always made to feel that they do not belong in that environment. So they walk around with this stigma, with this feeling that I do not belong here. I'm not uh, from around here. And that maybe I may be targeted every time that I go around in the community. There might be something that might target me that is negative. So those people are more likely to, to feel, to uh, marginalize and also develop mental illness. And sometimes the, marginaliz the marginalization is socioeconomic. So you might find a kid who may not necessarily have the toys that the other kids have, may not have the books that they have at school, and may always be teased about how they dress and how they may be in torn clothes or in shabby clothes. They do not have the designer clothes that children, other children have. That kind of marginalization as well that they experience may also lead to them developing mental illness. Bullying is another risk factor. This may happen a lot at school, but it can also happen in other circumstances, in other environments, including at church. You might find kids who actually be, feel that they are bullied and who are actually bullied at, uh, uh, in those areas. And that bullying might also lead to them developing mental illness. And the last one I want to highlight is trauma. Personal trauma, uh, witnessing trauma. So children who have been traumatized directly, whether that's physical trauma, sexual trauma that they experience, or sometimes they see it happening to their loved ones. You see mom being beaten by dad, or you see other siblings being uh, mugged, or other people on the street being mugged. Those things will likely to lead to children and young people developing mental illnesses. We have touched on some of the outcomes, which is my next uh, topic. We have touched on some of the outcomes of, of, uh, of mental illness, outcomes of depression. What happens if you have got depression? What can we expect to happen to that person? One of them is that they may be school failure. Children who are depressed are likely to perform very poorly at school as well as in other areas. So they might actually repeat classes or they might perform very poorly uh, for themselves. So children who, who do not function or who do not achieve as well as they are supposed to achieve as per their intellect, their cleverness. Those are the children that are usually depressed or anxious. Or children who may have been achieving very well and the marks suddenly shift. So as a parent, if you see your child has been coming with reports where they are always getting sixes and now they are getting threes and you cannot explain why that change is, it might be because they are actually depressed, they are actually going through some sort of mental illness, if it's depression, anxiety, or other things that are going on in their lives, in their mental health. These poor functioning, which might for young adults also mean that poor functioning at work, inability to keep a, work, a job, or inability to earn properly, or even losing uh, uh, employment, losing an income, may mean that there will be an inability to emerge out of poverty. So people 
who have got mental illnesses, depression, anxiety included, will tend to actually drift downwards in terms of socioeconomic status. So you might be a person who was earning a certain level, but because of uh, mental illness, because of depression, you lose your, your income and you can no longer keep up with that lifestyle and with the socioeconomic status that you have, you can, never, you can no longer accumulate the wealth that you were accumulating before. So you will drift um, downwards in terms of uh, capacity to earn and also the, the things that you can accum accumulate in life. That also means, amongst other things, you are then likely to have the means to actually seek help because mental illness and uh, uh, treatment for psych psychiatric treatment, let me put it that way, is costly, uh, not only in private sector in South Africa, but also in the, pub in the public sector. It's costly not just in terms of finances, but also in, it's costly in terms of the support structures that you need and the ab ability and the capacity to, to, to seek help and to get help out there. So if you are having lower means to seek help, that means that you're less likely to then to get help, you're less likely to actually get out of uh, your depressive state and actually get, uh, get to function normally afterwards. There will also be an unsatisfactory quality of life. So depression makes you to have an unsatisfactory quality of life and that might lead you to actually uh, want to kill yourself and that will, include the other, that will increase the chances of the other outcome which is death and su by suicide usually. Inability to acquire, to, to, I mean, unsatisfactory quality of life means that you have got inability to acquire, to acquire also what we call social wealth. You have got inability to build good quality relationships and social connectedness. This also means that there will be, disru there will be disruption or arrest, or arrest in terms of development or emotional development and social development. This means that there will be this inability to develop with the emotional and social coping skills that we are going to need as an adult to actually cope with the stressors of life. And the other last outcome that is quite important in depression is that people die of depression quite significantly compared to other to people who, who do not have depression. More directly, suicide is very common in people, in children who are depressed and in children who are anxious. And it's quite important for us then to talk about interventions to try and stop not only death, but also to stop the impairment in functioning. So it's important then for us to try and help people, young people, young adults who have got depression and anxiety so that we can improve, not just help them with, in terms of uh, killing themselves, but also help them to improve the quality of life that they live. And there are just three broad categories of interventions that I think we need to think about. And I, wa I want to highlight them very briefly. Number one, what I call community or societal interventions. So when it comes to community interventions, these are some of the interventions that we can do at a community level or at a society level. It includes some of the interventions that the government can do. For example, things like policies around drugs and access to drugs, around alcohol and access to alcohol, policies around violence and the policing of the violence. And it's also important as a society to be a society that is more tolerant, a society that is more inclusive of people that may be of different color or of different background to us. It's also important that we develop communities that are sensitive to 
issues like neglect and making sure that no child is neglected, no child has got needs that are not attended to. It is an African phenomenon and a known African ethical principle that it takes a village to raise a child. So whichever child that does not have uh, things or does not have access to certain things, we as a community, we should develop that kind of heart and that kind of uh, systems to make sure that children are not being neglected and do not have some of their basic needs not attended to. And these interventions will likely decrease the, the incidence and the prevalence um, of, of depression and anxiety in our society. <clears throat> Schools and other play areas for children need to be safe environments because it's not just environments where we learn academic things but also environments where we learn to socialize rather than have our social skills and also our emotions being broken down in, in such a way that we end up developing things like depression and anxiety. We also need to think about the families that we actually raise. And as, I think as a church, as a Como City Church, we've always said that we want to be a, a church that is based on, on families, that values families, that wants to bring families. But we also need to think about the things that are happening in the families that are allowing children to actually develop mental illness. What are we doing as a society or what are we doing as a church to assist ch churches to get, uh, to assist families to get rid of domestic violence, of emotional and physical abuse within the family environment? The family, the family environment needs to be a safe place rather than a place that, traumas, that traumatizes children in such a way that at the end of the day they develop a mental illness. They are supposed to be in homes where they harness their skills, where they learn and they develop skills that they will use later on to cope with different kinds of challenges that they have in life rather than become depressed or anxious whenever they are challenged with things. A stable and secure home with no violence of any kind allows children a safe space to learn and develop emotionally. The way they can cope later in life with stresses is important for them to actually develop in that home environment. When they are exposed to trauma at home, for example, gender-based violence, and, have const and constantly have to worry about their own safety, they have to, and when they have access to alcohol in the home environment, to drugs in the home environment, they are likely to develop mental illness, and this is not in their best interest. So I think what I'm saying is that as, as church and also as individuals within that family space, we need to think about when we say we want to stay in a certain environment for the sake of our children, and we want to maintain a marriage for the sake of our children, we also need to ask ourselves, is this that we're maintaining, is this that we are pushing for, the kind of environment that is actually helping the child to grow and become a stable person? Or is it a kind of environment that is actually traumatizing the child? And perhaps staying in that family or continuing that marriage might actually be detrimental to the mental illness, to the mental health of the very same children that we want to protect by continuing to stay in abusive families and in abusive relationships. At an individual level, which is the third uh, level that I want to talk about uh, today, is the individual level. I want to say to a, a, a every person who might think that they might, uh, either they have a mental illness or they've got depression or their children have got depression, the only advice and the best advice that I will say is that get help. If there are three things I'm going to say about that today is get help, get help, and get help. 
Help does not mean that you will always need, need medication. So when I say get help, you don't think I'm going to drag your child or we're trying to get people into hospital and to be labelled and all of that. There are other interventions that can be done, although medication may be necessary for certain individuals, depending on the, on, on the illness that they have at that time. Seeing a therapist does not mean that you are going to become ill. It simply means that you are already having an illness and that illness needs to be treated, be it with a therapist or with a medication. And lastly, do not allow personal stigma to stop you from getting help. Sometimes you think you will be seen as being weak, you'll be seen as this, you'll be seen as that, your, your, your friends will laugh at you. Do not allow all those things to, to stop you from getting help that you need. Because if you do not get help, you are going to continue to underperform compared to your peers and underperform compared to what you are capable of if you continue to struggle with mental illness instead of having it treated so that you can actually perform and become that which you are created to be. In the book of Matthew chapter 9, and this is the last thing I want to speak about, we hear of Jesus going through different places and doing various miracles, healing people who were sick, some who were born with certain illnesses, they just continue to do, he just continues to heal them. Right at the end, the Bible says that Jesus went through all these villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowd, in verse 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Now those who were sick, he healed them. Those who had diseases, he healed them. Those who did not know about the word of God, he taught them the word of God. But when he came to the people who were helpless and the people who were harassed, the Bible says Jesus had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. What I want to say by quoting those verses is that there is a lot of helplessness, there is a lot of depression, there is a lot of emotional difficulty that we face in our society today and that children are actually uh, facing at various times in, during their developmental stages. The Bible says that we should actually pray for these people and have compassion for them and actually work and do the work of the, of the harvester so that the work can be done so that they can actually get out of the situation where they are harassed, helpless, and like sheep without a shepherd. The truth is that the illness, this depression, anxiety, will continue to harass us as young people, as children of God, and even in, at any different stages of our lives if we remain without the help that is needed. Mental illness is not something that can be treated by just laying off hands, but there is work that needs to be done. As we read in the book of Exodus, there is work that needs to be done. God is not just attentive to our spiritual being, but is also attentive to the oppression that we receive from different kinds of Egyptians or different kinds of pharaohs, if you wish, that we face today. We have got certain demons, if I can put it that way, colloquially, that we are facing in, in, in our different lives. And the Bible says that God did not just sit there and 
intervene spiritually, but he came down to the burning bush and he sent Moses to go and do something practical about it. And because he was attentive and bothered by the slavery that his children were going through, by the cry that they were having, and he had to come down and actually intervene. And what I'm saying is that as parents for our children, as the church for the people that we minister to, and as teachers or any other people of, in a position of authority, we need to be attentive to the cry that we see amongst our, our children, amongst our young people, and we actually need to get up and do something practical about it and, and make sure that we actually assist them out of the situation that they are in. I am touched by the story of Lazarus when, he was, when, when Lazarus was dead and Jesus went to, uh, to resurrect him. The Bible says that when he saw the, he, when Jesus saw uh, Lazarus' family and saw them in the situation that they were in, verse uh, 35 of, jo- of chapter 11 of John says, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus was attentive and moved by the emotional status that they were in, and he actually had the compassion and shared tears with them and actually assisted them in that situation. So it's not just about over-spiritualizing things and just coming to church and praying and jumping around and hoping that everything will be well. We need to make sure that we've got something that we plan and we take the necessary practical steps to make sure that we intervene in a way that will actually assist people who suffer from depression and, 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 and anxiety so that they can actually live the good life that God has willed for them. Thank you and God bless you.